You can be seated. And Mitchell, I told him to get us a, a couple chairs. I didn't think we were going to be up on stools quite like this, so don't fall down, all right? <laughs> That'd be a really bad way to uh, have your first trip back uh, to college. Uh, but uh, we do want to welcome you to West Coast today. Uh, Mitchell, tell us uh, a couple of things. First of all, uh, what was your home church and where are you from originally? I grew up in South Carolina. I'm a redneck at heart. And I grew up at Gantt Street Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina, right in the middle of the Bible Belt there. Awesome. And how did you first hear about West Coast Baptist College? Through Dr. Don Sisk. He comes and preaches a missions conference at my home church once a year. And he gave me an invitation to uh, a flyer pamphlet for West Coast. And initially I thought there's no way that the baby of the family, my mother thought the same thing. There's no way that I'm going to go 2,000 miles across the country. And uh, we did. The Lord uh, came out for a visit. The Lord changed my heart and then continued to change my heart in the four years that I was out here. Awesome. And how old were you when you met Dr. Sisk? I was 16 years old. So junior, probably in high school, around yes, in sir. there. And uh, we're glad God brought you here by faith. How many of you are from uh, uh, somewhere back in the Bible Belt, as they call it, back Tennessee, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina? All right, so we got some others that are still walking by faith, too, and, and that's a blessing. Uh, so you, um, uh, you majored in what here at West Coast? Majored in pastoral theology. Pastoral theology, and I assume you're married. Yes, sir. And uh, tell us... Uh, I wish we had time to go into the whole process of how that works for some of the men in the college here who, uh, you know, are, are uh, socially challenged. But we don't have time for that. So, uh, but uh, where's, your, where's your wife from and what's her name? My wife's uh, name is Alexa, and she is from Twin Falls, Idaho. Her sister uh, was just on the staff here, uh, uh, Andrea Used to be Carlson. Okay. Now Andrea Howell just got married and served in the Lord of Tennessee. And now the next sister is out here as well. Abby Carlson is out here. And uh, I was socially challenged as well. And so, gentlemen, if I can get married, there is hope for you as well. Amen. Thank you for that word of encouragement. And uh, so, Mitchell, you graduated in what year? Graduated in 2012, and my wife graduated a year later. Uh, 2012, and I know you went to uh, work on a staff right after graduation. Tell our student body where you went to serve. That's correct. My wife and I, we went to serve in Phoenix, Arizona with Pastor Brent Loveless at the North Valley Baptist Church. Uh, he came uh, here for interview days my senior year and was looking for a church planting intern. And I got to travel with a, a singing group. And we stayed on the West Coast my junior year. And the Lord really started to work in my heart about church planting. And the week after that, we had a specific conference in the college about church planting. And so I surrendered to be a church planter. Did not know where exactly that would be. I just knew it was somewhere west of the Mississippi. It did not feel like the Lord uh, wanted us to go back to the southeast. And so it led us to serve on that staff for four years in an internship. And while we were there, he directed us to an area about 25 miles north of them called Desert Hills, where we're currently serving. Amen. Now, let's back up just a little bit. And let's talk about, first of all, Brother Loveless. Is, he's a wonderful man. I, I, I so appreciate his, uh, his stand, uh, but also his spirit. And I'm really happy for you that you were able to work there. Um, I think one of the most significant things for our graduates is, uh, first of all, that they would finish college. I, I believe it's absolutely necessary, not only academically, but just for you to stand up and lead people that are um, sometimes two, three times your age to at least have finished something in your life uh, says a great amount to them. So I think uh, besides our salvation and our marriage, uh, this idea of finishing college is, is critical. But then maybe the fourth most important decision is, is where are you going to serve after college? 
And I really always emphasize to our graduates uh, to try to find a place where there's a pastor uh, who's going to allow you to have a place where you can grow. And you had that with Brother Loveless. And obviously, it sounds like you upfront communicated your, your desire about church planning with him, which I think is also uh, commendable. Um, if you have that on your heart, um, just that the pastor would know that going into it because that's important for everyone's long-term planning. So what did you do at the church there as an assistant pastor? Yes, our internship involved a number of responsibilities, but our main responsibility was the outreach program. We uh, led that by example, but also we organized that, getting maps ready every week. And then once my wife finished and we got married, and we took over a a young couple Sunday school class and got to see that grow as well. And those are our two main responsibilities, but we were also given opportunity to be involved in other aspects, about every other aspect of the ministry. Administrative planning, we organized the missions conference, we sat in on staff meeting, and it was a wonderful opportunity to learn and to make mistakes uh, on the pastor's dollar, but also to, to grow. And what I appreciate about my pastor was he, he knew we were going to be a little bit green coming out of college. And the first time we made a mistake, he, he understood. He pulled us aside and used it as a teaching moment, but it was always, let's learn from this and let's grow. He gave Amen. us the chance to grow. And the four years there, it wasn't, we were able to apply the, the principles and the things that we learned in the classroom here, but we also got that hands-on experience of working with couples and working with people and having to ask pastor, how exactly would you handle this? How do you want me to handle this? And being to defer to him, it really helped shape my philosophy. We uh, a lot of that was instilled and settled in our time here at college on what kind of biblical stance we're going to take, but also the stance of how will we relate to people, what kind of spirit will we have, that was settled and developed during that internship as well. So internship and, and working on staff is, is helpful, especially in a, in a place like you went. And I uh, really feel that you know when I give assignments to the practical theology class, like one of the term assignments recently was prepare for a missions conference. You know, uh, your project, term project is uh, a missions conference, or sometimes I'll give a discipleship program or a soul winning kickoff program. I think sometimes students may think, you know, what is this all about? But when you suddenly are in the fire of ministry, uh, you're able to go back and get some notes. And I'm glad that you were able to do that. And uh, also to have, for example, the opportunity to teach a couples class. Um, It always amazes me uh, how that people want to get involved in the pastorate uh, who have not yet led someone to Christ or discipled someone. And so I think those experiences for you uh, were really important. Something else that uh, Brother Crittenden said that I think is very important, he just said he really wanted to learn his pastor's heart. You know, a lot of times we hear today about young men in ministry and their, their fame to claim is how they, they push back on everything, you know, give them some pushback. And um, there's a place for that, but normally when you're the, the brand new guy on staff, that might not need to be your major calling card, like Mr. Pushback. I like the fact that you said um, you just wanted to learn the pastor's heart and wh- how he wanted things done. I'm a firm believer, students, that if you'll have that spirit, God will bless that in your life. If you have that spirit of just really uh, teachable spirit, that the Lord will use that to help you, uh, and he'll, he'll bless you for that if you keep that spirit. So uh, you, you came to college. You got married. Uh, you uh, went to work in a local New Testament independent Baptist church. Um, uh, all awesome. But then the Lord had put a calling on your heart, and, uh, and you said that was while you were here at West Coast. Yes, 
the church planting really began to come as a, as a burden. Now, let's, before we talk about the transition to the church planting, let's just talk about church planting in general. Uh, most people here probably know that the exponential growth of churches doesn't happen in the largest of churches. It happens in the church planting churches. And there's, a, there's an opportunity sometimes to, to see newer people. Uh, and so uh, whereas a large church might grow by a few percentage points, a smaller church can grow with reaching new people. So church planting is critical not only from uh, finding an area that maybe doesn't have a gospel witness, but also uh, the opportunity to really reach new people in a new work where the pastor can get to know them and so forth. What were some of the other reasons that you really felt led to church planting besides the, the opportunity maybe to get to a new area like you're in? But what were some other things that maybe you saw as maybe different from taking a church or, or doing something else? A lot of that had to do with where I grew up. And in the, where I, my home church in South Carolina, we drove to our church every Sunday and we passed three other independent fundamental Baptist churches, good churches, good Bible preaching churches, and I felt it was that way everywhere just because I stayed in South Carolina for all 18 years, and everybody's got multiple choices to choose from. And so when the Lord led us out to college, then got to travel with that singing group and just driving up I-5 in California and seeing town after town where there's nothing. And same thing where we were in Phoenix. Uh, our pastor Loveless took Alexa and myself up on a hike on a mountain right behind the church right after we got there and showed us our church and then showed us the closest sister church to us off in the distance and as far as we could see it was just house after house after house and and still that was uh, almost about four years ago I still have that image in my head there's just thousands of people people still growing people still coming and there's no there's I mean there's, it's not like there's one or two that are here and you can drive 20 minutes there's nothing right. and so that was a huge huge motivating factor for uh, being going into church planting so one of the biggest motivating factors was literally just finding a place where there was no gospel witness yes, sir. and um, and certainly uh, there's so many areas that we know of in the West that are like that now uh, as you begin to transition let's talk about the conversations you had with pastor because I don't think you went in and threw down a two weeks notice on his desk uh, how did that work spiritually I'm sure that you gave deference to him I'm sure that you wanted the churches um, buy-in and, and uh, involvement. So talk to us about how you handled that time. Yes. A lot of my pastor's philosophy stemmed from his pastor's philosophy. He did an internship at Eastland Baptist Church with Dr. Dave Hardy, and Brother Hardy sent out numbers of men. And my pastor felt because of the influence that Brother Hardy had on him, he likewise had that same responsibility to train and to teach other men. And so he set, set up the uh, uh, internship program to be originally for three years, and then he taught his uh, church family to give for that program and to set aside a certain amount so where uh, as they sent us out as missionaries and church planners, they could support us for a certain amount. Uh, we already had a good percentage of what our funds would be. And so there was some planning and there's some development on my pastor's heart, but there was also uh, some listening that I needed to do to him. Originally, we were supposed to stay for three years, and then that was going to be the time where they were going to send us out. And right before that third year, our pastor uh, graciously pulled us aside and said, if you 
feel like you're ready to go, we will send you out. But he told myself and my wife, I feel like if you stayed for another year, that would really give you the opportunity to strengthen some weaknesses that you have. And he told us what those were. And I felt that he was correct. And that's, that's not always an easy thing when somebody pulls you aside and says, here's some weaknesses. But when you do a little bit of honest reflection and recognize it's coming from a heart of love, somebody that wants to see you succeed, uh, we, we saw our personal lives grow as in that fourth year. We saw our Sunday school class grow the most in that fourth year. And by the time that fourth year came around, he definitely said, you guys are ready and our church is ready to get behind you. Isn't that a blessing? And I just want you to hear some of the dynamic of that because uh, there needs to be a spirit of teachability and a spirit of, uh, of mentoring as well on the pastor's part. And then the time came when the Lord was going to send you out and you already told us you chose an area north. Uh, and so you're definitely way north in the Phoenix Metroplex. And uh, how far are you from, say, Anthem, Arizona? We are the next town closest to Anthem. Okay, so, so. You're, you're up in the area. Just You could go up 17 then and get, get out into your area. So yes, fast-growing area. A little bit of elevation there. It's not as low as downtown Phoenix. What is your elevation? Our elevation would be uh, right about, uh, uh, about 10,000 feet right there with mountains all okay. around. And so. so not what everyone would picture typically with Arizona probably. Right. Yes, and tell us about the population in the area right around you. The town where we are is called Desert Hills, and when we first moved there, first was looking there, it was an estimated population of 16,000 people, but the city of Phoenix is putting all their development on the north side of Phoenix because the eastern, western, and southern parts are pretty much all developed, and so they are projecting that by the year 2030, that area will hold 100,000 people, and in our area, there was not one independent Baptist church there. The town of Anthem, right next to us, is 40,000 people, and there's only one independent Baptist church there. So we can use a few more up there, too. Amen. Now, uh, I saw some pictures uh, when you first started on, on social networks and such, and you uh, began in what type of a facility? We are renting a charter school that we set okay. up on Saturday nights and tear down on Sunday nights. Okay. And uh, what do you do for your weekday office work? Is that out of your house? You're still out of your home church? How are you doing that? If I have administrative responsibilities, I try to take care of that at the house, but we have three children. They're all under the age of four, and so that's not the, the best place to study. Uh, our sending church is allowing me to use a side room. Is a, it's kind of a storage room, but it has a little desk set up with internet connection and just a chance to use that as, as a place to study as well. That's wonderful. And sometimes you're not that close to a home church, so you might have to use a coffee shop or something to, to do some study, and we understand that. And so what is your service schedule right now with respect to having, you know, to rent a building and so forth. Uh, how does that work? We started from the, the beginning with a Sunday morning service at 1030 and a Sunday evening service at 530 as well. And we chose to start with that because we had a good nucleus of people already with us. Folks, folks that came from our sending church, we had a team of about 15 people who came to assist us. And then some other folks that we had met through some initial Bible studies. And then about six months in, we started a Thursday night discipleship program. And that led to our, our midweek Bible study right now. And so we have since switched that to Wednesday nights. It seems to work a little bit better with the facility and with our schedule. But we have a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and a Wednesday night Bible study right now. I think he said something that's key, and that is that there were a few families that went with him. How many of you think that partly was because of his spirit towards his pastor while he was there? Uh, if, if a pastor senses that 
uh, someone's uh, having a major theological or philosophical shift or they're being irresponsible uh, in their ministry, it's harder for a pastor to really get behind that with dollars and with personnel. And it really just comes back to the importance of walking in the spirit in your relationship with the pastor and with the home church. Now, uh, Mitchell, as you, as you went over, uh, you said that how long has it been exactly now since you've been with the church, the new church? Uh, two Sundays ago, we celebrated our first anniversary. So I thought about one year. And I really invited you today because I, I wanted our students to see someone closer to their age just launching out in faith and, uh, and, and going through this process. And as you did this, uh, you came out from the North Valley Baptist Church there, and they are your sending church. And as I understand and what we teach here, and I think probably your pastor is very similar, spiritually speaking, you and they, those people, are still under the authority of the North Valley Baptist Church. Um, and to the extent that really right now, you are still somewhat of a staff member in, in, a, in a sense of that church, spiritually speaking. Uh, in addition to that, the people that you've had baptized, would their membership would be held really at North Valley Baptist Church because uh, you have not yet organized as a New Testament Baptist Church. And that, the polity of that is something that might be new, maybe to a freshman or a sophomore here. So I want you to talk through what you know about that. And if you miss anything, I'll kind of brush in on it too. But just sharing a little bit about the spiritual nature of how churches start churches. Because in Acts 13, the church at Antioch, they sent Paul and Barnabas. And in Acts 14, after the first missionary journey, they came back and reported. And uh, there was a definite uh, churches starting churches philosophy modeled in the New Testament. But tell us how it's working for you. Absolutely. What has been a blessing to us is, especially with me being a younger parent myself and having younger children, is to see the relationship between my children and the, the relationship we have with our sending church. We refer to it as a mother church a lot because very much a parent's job is to nurture and to care, but it's also to protect as well. And so while we were under the umbrella of that, our, our local church, our sending church, we were able to use their policies, their procedures, and that has helped us as we get ready to organize. That has also proven to be protective for our church as well. We've had some folks come uh, who are wanting to join in the membership, uh, but our, our biblical belief is if they have not been baptized in a Baptist church, we humbly ask that they be baptized in our Baptist church. Amen. Again, try to explain, we're not doubting your salvation, but we do believe in the, the doctrine of the local church and, and what it teaches, and so that's just a protective stance that we take. Mm -hmm. But that's been a policy that was put into place from our sending church. And so because we could say we're under the umbrella of our sending church, and this is what they ask, and this is what our church would ask as well, that has been a blessing. Well, on top of that, our pastor has been able to come and to teach on some things to help our church, especially uh, financial areas. He has been a blessing in that teaching on tithing, teaching on giving, teaching on the family to where it wasn't just seen from me as this is a young guy. He's trying to start a church. He just wants our money. This is seen from, this is a, a man that's trying to defer to a pastor. This is a local church pastor that's had experience and wants to see this baby church grow and develop. Amen. And so that's, it's been a great relationship and has really helped our people. So your pastor has been able to uh, come in behind you in the sense of supporting you. You're out front leading this new work, uh, but he's been able to help say that, look, it, this is right and, uh, and encourage you that way. And so it's definitely a team effort. Scripturally, we see that you have a, a home church, a mother church that is behind you. But there comes a point when 
uh, a church must become autonomous. And uh, that's always the goal. I mean, the goal as, as if you were to be a missionary, uh, if, if, you, if you plant a church, is that you don't want to have to continually take the resources and the time of the home church uh, for, for a long, long period of time. Uh, God has designed that the church would stand alone uh, in the sense of uh, financially and so forth and supporting their pastor and then to stand on the Word of God uh, doctrinally. So tell us what's coming up with your organizational service and uh, what that will look like. I'm sure you're planning the cue card. And is that this Sunday? This coming Sunday. So let sure. me thank you for being willing to come over with us today because I cannot imagine all the details coming up. But um, I want our students to hear about the organizational service. Sure. We just had one last week in New Zealand for Sam Hutchins. Did you know Brother Hutchins? I do. I and uh, Brother Hutchins... Uh, is doing an amazing job in New Zealand. Uh, we're his sending church, and he did the same thing. He gathered some people that were saved prior. He's won a lot of new people to the Lord and seen them baptized. He dealt extensively with uh, one particular family. I think I went back and forth with about 40 emails with Sam that, that had an alien immersion and uh, why they needed to be baptized as Baptists if the church was going to uh, start as a Baptist church. We needed to have Baptist people in the church. And, uh, of course, we believe that when you get saved, you become a Christian. When you get baptized, you become a Baptist or a Presbyterian or whatever. And uh, that family had a wonderful spirit. Um, they, they literally just came to him after praying for a few weeks and said, you know, we, don't, we don't want to be a stumbling block for others that may want to come into this church to cause you problems. And we believe that God wants you to be our pastor, and uh, we want to come under the authority of this church. So uh, he had about uh, 40 uh, sign his charter and uh, had several visitors. We had three saved. And so I love to see churches uh, planted. And I want you to tell us um, about the significance of the organizational service and maybe a little bit of the, the order of service for that day. What are some things you're planning? Well, the significance, we, we use the relationship from a parent to a child. This, in, with that analogy, this is very much the cutting of an umbilical cord, if you want to put it like that, where now you have two separate entities, two separate, uh, you have a mama and a baby, and now you'll have a mama church and a baby church that is standing on their own. And so we, have, uh, we will adopt their constitution and their Amen. bylaws right. and their doctrinal statement. And uh, I printed all those out, and I gave those to our people about a month ago. I had those available, and I gave them instructions. I said, right. I, I want you to read over these, review our policies. So I understand it's probably not the most exciting reading. How, how do you handle the financial procedures and things like that? But there's doctrinal things in there. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you have questions about that, come to me before Sunday, March the 3rd. I said, that charter service, I'm not taking your questions. I love you. I'm going to say I love you, but I'm not answering your questions. Right. And so I've had a number of good conversations with folks because of that. Why do you count money with two people? Why do you have a treasurer? Why, why does your doctrinal statement say this? And so that's presented some of our, our, our people who have been coming for a long time but have not joined the, the membership of our mother church, our sending church, and has presented some great questions. And, oh, okay, I see why you're doing this. And uh, so we're praying for a wonderful day this coming Sunday. We've been able to have a number of discussions. Nobody has uh, left the church through those discussions. They've all seen, oh, this is what the Bible says. This is your heart. You want to do things that are decently and in order Amen. and have organization to you. And so that's 
that's great. And so that's, that's one of the, the, the ways we structure that. It also shows our government. We're a church in our area that wants to stay, and we're going to have, uh, we're going to stay as the Lord, the Lord is, as, until the Lord comes back. And we have policies and procedures and officers and things that we do a certain way. And uh, so this coming Sunday, our sending church pastor, Pastor Loveless, is going to bring the message to us. Amen. We're going to have a great message on the local church and why you need to be involved. And then we're going to have a charter that is printed out and uh, basically states this is a group of, of believers at Hillcrest Baptist Church that believes such and such and such, and we want to honor the Lord in these manners. And uh, I've encouraged our people of promoting it for a number of weeks. If you, those who have viewed the doctrinal statement and they believe the doctrine is from what the Bible teaches, and those who believe that this would be the local church where God would have you put down your roots and use your gifts and abilities to serve, at the end of that message, we're going to invite those who want to be charter members to come and sign that. And then I've got about six different areas I'm ready to plug people in. I'm just waiting for them to join. Amen. And so that very next week, we're going to be contacting people. And so thankful that you chose to join with us. Now let's see what we can do to get you involved. I think one of the you know more frightening areas that we face uh, in church planning, and, and I remember when I came here, we had 12 people, and uh, we did not recharter, but I remember talking to people about membership, and one family in particular that was, they were not Baptists, but they, had, they were normal, if that makes sense. <laughs> they were, I mean, a married couple, first, first marriage, beautiful children, great job. They were just kind of a normal American family, and you really want them to be a part of the church. Uh, but they had a background that was nominally charismatic, had some beliefs about some of those doctrines that did not line up with our church. And, um, and I lovingly shared with them, you know, that, look, at, uh, if you believe this is where God wants you and if you want to be part of a Baptist church, then we would talk with you about uh, what it will take for membership. And uh, I remember in that particular situation, they did not choose to join our church. And, you know, when you're running 20, that's the test of, of really who you are. Uh, and I see some of our younger church planners just so nervous for people and so nervous for us, us you know, to grow uh, that, that uh, they're not really holding the line on some of those things. And, and ultimately, they begin to have uh, a church that is a Baptist church, but it's really more non-denominational. It's Baptist in name. So I know the last few months for you just... You know, who's going to join, uh, whether it's by baptism or transfer, uh, that this has been a test of your spiritual metal, And, uh, and I, I do want to publicly commend you for doing it right uh, in that sense. Now, the people that have been scripturally baptized, the people that uh, are going to be coming into the church, they'll sign a charter. And uh, will, will they vote for you then as pastor? Is that a part of the formality in your case, or is that assumed? It, it will be a, a vote. Well, assuming uh, there will be a vote to accept uh, myself as the pastor and, and the, the lead, the shepherd of the church. There and is that all along with the uh, doctrinal statement as well. That's correct. Yes, sir. So uh, after that time, uh, you'll have now you'll be the pastor of an autonomous church. So that means you don't ever have to talk to your pastor or have him preach for you ever again, right? <laughs> Well, I'll still talk to him and take him out to lunch. And absolutely. But that just means I have to pay for his lunch now. <laughs> okay. That's a good thought, too. We'll pass that along. So, uh, no, I think uh, you'll, you'll still need a lot of counsel and help and maybe even some support along the way. You know, new churches have times where there's ups and downs, and there's times when uh, financially it's great or it's not. Um, but uh, you just always want to, uh, students, you always want to keep uh, your relationship uh, with your home pastor that sent you to college, 
uh, with pastors that you work with, with those here at the college that have been a blessing to you. Um, I absolutely do not understand the mentality of someone raised up in, an, in a godly independent Baptist environment, church, college, etc., and then just throwing all that off and becoming uh, influenced by uh, people of completely different persuasion. I like to say, if you want to know your heritage, look at your baptismal certificate and your college uh, graduation uh, uh, certificate. If you want to know your future, look at your Twitter feed and look at what you're doing on social media because a lot of times that reveals to me where someone's going directionally. So I appreciate, uh, Mitchell, that you have been faithful to the training that you've received from the Word of God, from your home pastor, and from Brother Loveless as well. So you have uh, the Organizational Sunday. Tell us, just looking out over the next year, what are some of the things that you have as a young church on the calendar? Some things that you, know, you can kind of promote and be excited about with your people. Well, we started from, from day one last year. We had a Vision Sunday, our very next Sunday. You know, my, my OCD, I would have liked that to be at the beginning of the year, but we started in February, so I had to have a 10-month or about a 10-and-a-half-month 10, 10 vision uh, as opposed to a 12-month vision. But I wanted them to show we've already got activities planned. We're going to have fellowships. And so I gave them a calendar that very next day. A lot of the, the things that you see here involved on, on Vision Night, not, not as, as much of a grand scale because we are starting out, but I wanted to have resources to look at. And we did the same thing this year as well. Our biggest prayer request right now is we are praying the Lord will allow us to see a youth group established and to have a, a take a group to teen camp this summer and to see a teen class started by the fall. And so we've already had a couple of youth activities there at our house. We have a fire pit in our backyard, so a lot of uh, hot dog roast and marshmallows. We have a, a youth rally that will be taking teens to actually Saturday. And so we're going to jet back for that, have, have some fun there. But we have seven committed to go to that as well. Amen. And we're excited about that. We also have a, a mission Sunday that's scheduled for September. Brother, uh, Brother McCombie and his wife are going to come out and preach it for us. And because we had a, a nucleus go with us from our sending church, we started a, uh, a missions fund from the get-go. And so we started a missions program uh, in August of last year. We taught, took a whole month teaching on stewardship. We taught faith promise giving. Uh, we taught the tithing first and giving, supporting the local church and then giving uh, uh, separately on, on top of that. And so in the year that we have uh, taken up our faith promise commitments. Currently, we support four missions programs as well, uh, two foreign missionaries and then two church planters, one starting a church in Kansas and another starting a church uh, in central Phoenix coming up in a couple of months here. Amen. And so we'll look to, to increase that in the fall. How many of you in this room are open towards or you've even already yielded yourself to planting a church someday? Would you raise your hands? Let me just see where some of you guys are. All right. Awesome. Wonderful. Uh, I, I think something that I'm hearing from Brother Mitchell is the fact that uh, he actually has a calendarized plan, and uh, even when he said he taught on giving in August, uh, those are the types of things you don't think about in July. Those are things that you normally, before you ever get into this church plant, that's on a calendar, and that's why it's so important to learn how to plan. And also, 
I think it's wonderful that uh, you're, you're starting a youth ministry. Obviously, I remember when I came here, I was the youth pastor, and the, ter- the activities were terrible. I just have to admit, I mean, things like uh, grab a paper cup with your toes and jump across the parking lot. Never mind the parking lot was gravel. I didn't think about that stuff, you know. So, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I just am excited that you're beginning to develop those ministries. I think it would be awesome if somebody who just raised their hand would come up to you after chapel and say, could I come and hang around with you this summer and, uh, and, and just help a church plant? You know, I often say this, that there are so many ministries that come by and ask you to help uh, in the summer. And, and they're, all normal, they're all vetted by Dr. Getch. They're all good. Uh, a lot of camps. Uh, but if you want to be involved in local church work, and if you could spend a summer working around a good uh, Bible-believing church, uh, what an opportunity that would be for you. So uh, I hope that you'll take note of that and try to look for those opportunities and ask for those opportunities as well. Now, Mitchell, I know a little bit about your philosophy. I don't know everything about your philosophy of ministry. I know uh, that you were trained uh, to be a Baptist, and uh, recently I saw a brochure advertising some uh, church planters, and it just it really broke my heart to see uh, some of the things, uh, to see some young men who really came up like you did, who think that in order for the church to grow, they have to drop the name Baptist, or uh, some of them are even looking at other Bible versions and using other Bible versions. Some are even taking money from conventions that require them to give 10% back for the rest of their life. Uh, the short-sightedness of that just blows my mind, not to mention the philosophical identification. And I'm not here talking about, you know, uh, maybe a, a slight difference here and there. We all understand that, that uh, every church is going to have some differences that are non-doctrinal, but I think, I think uh, uh, the Bible issue is a doctrinal issue and Calvinism is a doctrinal issue. And I, I really believe that our name Baptist, I was just studying and reading just recently about Felix Manns who was thrown into the River Lamont. He was murdered uh, under the authority of uh, uh, Ulrich Zwingli in, uh, over in uh, Zurich. And he was murdered simply because he believed that people should be baptized after they're saved. He was murdered by uh, the Calvinists, who sometimes were harder on Anabaptists uh, than they were on others. So I, I do not take the name Baptist as an option. Amen. I, I take it as a privilege. It's not something, and when I see young men uh, dropping that name or taking money from conventions that uh, are involved in a myriad of, of alliances that we would disagree with, it's just like, whoa. Um, you know, as a, as, as a pastor at my age, I, I see some, maybe some reasons why they would do that, uh, in the sense, not good reasons, but I, I, I see their, perhaps their reasoning. Uh, when you look out at, at guys that are around your age, and you see some of those things happening, the abandonment of uh, certain uh, things that they were taught, what do you think's going on there? I mean, what, what's the desire in doing those types of things? Whenever I come across or I meet with somebody. I, we have some folks in, in our neck of the woods and area in Phoenix who are very much the same way. And my first reaction is I have to make sure I check my spirit. Right. These are all men who have a heart to see people saved, and I never want to condemn somebody for wanting to see somebody saved. Right. But I also recognize there are people who bled and died so that we could have a Baptist heritage, as you just mentioned. Right. And in communication with these individuals and lunch conversations with them, it's just been my observation that there is a desire to see people saved, but there's also a desire to be an influential person. 
and desire to have influence and to gain influence. One of the men that I talked with, his words to me were, um, I feel as if God wants me to pastor a large church, to pastor a big church. And today he does not have Baptist on the name. He has taken Baptist off. And there's that desire for influence, which influence is a wonderful thing. But when I read the scriptures, what I find is that influence is given and influence is stewarded. Right. I think of Joseph in the Old Testament. I think of Daniel in the Old Testament. And they were some pretty influential figures. But what you find, influence is given as you are faithful in the responsibilities that you already have. You think of Paul in the New Testament. Paul and Barnabas initially were sent out in Acts chapter 13 by a local church because they had already been faithful serving there in Antioch for over a year. And so I think a lot of times we can get, my, my age in particular, uh, especially, whether it's with social media and we see what's happening, and man, they've got such an influence here. We desire to have that same thing. And influence is a wonderful gift and can be stewarded. It needs to be stewarded. But also what you'll find is you're faithful just to do the responsibilities that the Lord gives you as he sees fit. In his timing, he will increase that influence. You know, the world's philosophy is if you want attention, then you've got to be provocative. And you'll see that on television. You'll see that on social media. People just say dumb things, wear dumb things just to get attention. And, uh, and so it seems that we have some men in ministry that just, you know, they want to preach a provocative series that deals with topics that probably aren't really suitable for a mixed congregation of uh, including 80-year-old men and women and young people that are under eight. You know, it's, it's amazing to me some of the topics they want to speak about just to be sort of provocative. Um, and then people that want to quote certain other people and, and uh, say certain things just kind of gain a following. I think any time, and I've said these things for many years, students, that uh, when we make uh, reaching numbers, when we make numbers our goal, uh, we're going to fail we, we need to make God our goal. We need to follow Christ in all that we do. And something else that I've said over the years is, look it, let the late night TV show people be that, do what they do, but you be God's man. And when we start trying to take all of the philosophy of the world and bring it into the church and say, this is how we're going to build a church, there's a big difference between a crowd and a church. And uh, we want to make sure that we're being true to the word of God. Uh, and first and foremost, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way, like, bless God, I'm right and everybody else is wrong. And I appreciate what you said. I think some of these people that are dropping our distinctives and sometimes doctrine, uh, they are in many senses and cases, they want to reach souls. I definitely give them that. Uh, but there's a spirit of pragmatism involved that uh, they're willing to make alliances and to collaborate uh, outside with other people who have doctrinal positions that we definitely would disagree with. And I really believe that sends an uncertain sound even to their own churches um, and so forth. Uh, I don't want to delve too hard into this, but I want you to just also uh, maybe comment on just the whole stylistic aspect of, of uh, I believe church is a place where people need to know that there's a God that's a holy God and a God of order. And uh, how, how do you try to approach uh, just the fleshing out and the working out of a, of a service, uh, you know, the fact is that uh, in Phoenix, it's more casual, and I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, whether someone wears a tie or not to your church, but what I'm saying is, uh, how do you try to maintain the distinctiveness of church in a society that's maybe very hedonistic? How do you, how do you deal with that? 
That's a great question, and I, there's a two-part answer to that that has helped me, partly from what we've been trained with here, and partly from the philosophy of my pastor in my internship in, in, in my, our local church. As far as the stylistic, we always want to approach the, script, the, the services as if Jesus is in our presence. Where two or three are gathered, he says, there I am in the midst. And so we want to have a worship service that does that describes how the Bible describes worship. Something that has helped me is to do a biblical study of the word worship. And what you find is it means to bow down, it means to fall, it means to ascribe worth to someone or something. And so every part of our, our worship services, we are training our people, we are singing in a certain way, we are giving through the offering, we're worshiping through our giving, we're having a Bible message because number one reason, Jesus, you're worthy of it. Amen. One of the things that I have it's been my observation with some individuals I've spoken with just in our area as well, is while there are certainly, as you mentioned, there are things that can be listed as preferences, whether it's whether you wear a, uh, a coat on Wednesday night, whether you wear a tie or whatever the case is there. I understand all that, and I, I, right. I agree. I think there is a danger in placing too much under the category of preference right. because what it leads to is promoting an atmosphere of a casual view of God's holiness and to me, what I see in the scriptures is the holiness of God is a doctrine that we need to stand for. And everywhere I see somebody in the scriptures seeing a glimpse of God or seeing a glimpse of their throne room, and they have an immediate reaction. It's to fall down. It's to cover their face. They recognize they, it, it changes the way they view God. And so that's the principle behind the kind of services that we try to have at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Now, the second part to that, 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 second part to that answer is there will also be people who come into your services who have no knowledge of God whatsoever. And so there right. must be grace shown to them to give them time to learn and time to grow. And I think it's another message on it, but if you just read Acts 17, how Paul handles and speaks to the people at Mars Hill, he gives a different type of Bible message than he does in other parts of Acts. And he starts with creation, starts with who God is, what is he like, because he mentions, he talks to those people, the people at Mars Hill, they said Paul spoke of strange gods, plural, because he spoke of Christ and the resurrection. They were thinking that Christ was a deity and resurrection was a deity in a place like Athens where there's idols all over the place. And so Paul recognized these folks have no foundation. They have no knowledge of Christ whatsoever. And that shaped the way that he handled them throughout that chapter. And so while we stand for truth, and we certainly have a, a great stance on that, we want to promote God's holiness as well, we also want our people to understand if a local church is fulfilling the Great Commission as it should, there should be people in our Amen. services who don't know God like we do. And they may come to our service, and I've, I've told our people this from the pulpit, they may be folks in our service who have never sang some of the songs that we sing. They may not recognize some of the words in a Bible that we use. They may look at some of the way we do things and say, I've never seen that before. But I said, I do not want that to be the one thing that they take away from our services. Any first-time visitor needs to take away from our church. That is the friendliest, that is the most loving group of people I've ever met. Amen. So we try to balance that. I think with new people, uh, what you touched upon is so important that, you know, obviously they need to have an opportunity to grow in grace. And we don't want to establish when we have any standards of distinction, whether that's the Bible we use or whether uh, that's in the areas that, of our polity and practice, that we don't create a, an atmosphere of pharisaicalism, you know, we're better than them. Uh, we absolutely have to have a servant's heart towards everyone that walks through uh, our, our church doors. I think there's something else that we could consider uh, with working with these people 
And, and that is the issue of context or contextualization. Uh, even when you mentioned Paul at Athens, he actually quoted uh, the Greek poets uh, in his message there. I think he was aware of his context and his surroundings. I, I think that there's a place for our uh, leadership to help people understand what we're doing. For example, I would say rather than throw out the hymn book, which some of our uh, younger men have literally done, um, I would say take a moment to explain the hymn. Just say, here's a wonderful song uh, that we're going to sing. Um, and I'm not against singing a newer song if it's doctrinally sound, but take a moment and explain the doctrine of that song and the meaning of that song. Uh, if there's something that the church is going to do, for example, the first time you have the Lord's table, that's going to be a wonderful thing. There's going to be a lot of explanation of that for people who've never seen it or wondering why can't I bring Uncle Joe from St. Mary's to have communion because he likes communion, right? You're going to have to explain all those things to them. So I think the issue is not contextualization because we all contextualize, we all explain. Uh, if you have a children's service, you use maybe stop and go song and you use uh, flannel graph, you're contextualizing. The danger that I see today, Mitchell, is with churches that are over-contextualizing. They are so, so involved in contextualizing, so involved in collaborating with folks from other groups that uh, they are losing their distinctiveness and, uh, and not really becoming an authentic New Testament Baptist church. And so those are, those are discussions and lines that have to be drawn, but I just challenge you as students uh, that we want to maintain a distinctiveness in the local church. We want the church to be the church. It's not our church. It's his church. Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. I was invited to a seminar years ago called Reinvent Church. And I thought to myself, I don't want to reinvent it. Jesus invented it. How, how can we improve on something that Jesus uh, has given to us? And so I want to commend you for going to the book of Acts, uh, seeing how it was done, and then endeavoring to duplicate that. I want to commend you for your spirit towards those that may not do it just like you do it, but I also want to commend you for your stand in, uh, in just being faithful to the word. And uh, I have really enjoyed having you here. How many of you will put Pastor Mitchell Crittenden on your prayer list as he organizes his church this Sunday and becomes autonomous. Would you put him on your list, all right? And we want you to know that you gave us the time to come over here, very busy week for you, but we hope that our prayers and encouragement will lift you going forward. Um, tell us, Mitchell, kind of how many, do you have an idea how many folks you would like to see sign the charter? We're praying for about 40 people right now. We Excellent. Have that same number from, from Sam. So we started with a group of 15, and Dolores has seen that grow to around 40. Uh, this past Sunday, we had 42 and first-time visitors, and it's just exciting. We still haven't learned everything, but we're still having the time of our lives. Amen. And, and, and I'm not trying to embarrass or uh, you know, mention this for any other reason than maybe to put perspective in the minds of our, of our students, some of the seniors getting ready to go work in a church and then plant a church. What would your offerings be on a weekly basis right now for, for a group of 40 in Arizona? For our, our, for our general, what comes mm -hmm. in will be uh, anywhere between 700 and 900. Okay. And then for our missions, we have about 300 to 325 that comes in for that. So four to $5,000 a month is what you're seeing right now. And that's, that's just a start. Um, and uh, and that's, I just share that with you because sometimes uh, we think, well, if I have this much or I'm not going to go if I don't have this much, that's the opposite of faith. And, and what you're looking at right now in front of you is a man full of faith, 
and I pray full of the Holy Ghost like Stephen, and he's a man who's willing to step out and just trust God. And that's what ministry is. It's not fundamentally stepping out to get a position, uh, to get perks. It's the man that looks for the city that didn't have the, the witness, and he said, I'll be that man. I'll go there. When I came to Lancaster, California, this was the only independent fundamental Baptist church and probably still is to this day. And, and I came here not because of the beauty of the place, though it's a very beautiful place. I came here because of the need. There's, there's 200,000 people in this city who need Jesus Christ. There's a half a million people in this community who need Jesus Christ. And that's why I came, and that's why Mitchell went. And so I ask you, why are you in Bible college? What are you hoping to get out of this? What's the end to this? What's the goal? I wonder how many men, really men in this room, your goal is to get somewhere where people don't know Jesus and tell them about Jesus. And if you get 700 a week, that's secondary. Being where God wants you to be is what counts. I, I happen to know the, the metal and the kind of person Mitchell is. If he keeps his heart right, which I believe he will, and his doctrine straight, I guarantee you those numbers are going to rise. And God will give him influence. But if he starts out looking for influence and money, I had a young man recently bragging to me, I've got this much money. I said, really, where'd it come from? From a convention. He got the money from a, from a convention that doesn't believe anything like he was trained to believe. And he was boastful about how much money in his philosophy. And you know what? He's never pastored a day in his life. He's never had to explain to someone the doctrines of our faith. You're going to find a lot of people with a lot of smack talk have never done what this man's done right here. So I want to ask you, why are you here? What is the goal? And I pray that the goal is to please Jesus and to get somewhere where you can win souls and build a church for the glory of God. Would you thank Brother Crittenden for being with us today? Let's stand together. This has been a different type of a chapel service. I'm going to preach on Friday uh, for our guests. Uh, thank you for allowing us to just do something a little off script today that we hope will be a help and a blessing. And uh, how many of you would say, boy, I learned something today about church planting. Let me see your hands. You learned something a little bit about church planting. And uh, I pray that beyond education, some of you saw somebody not much older than you who's stepping way out and, and pioneering. And we need that pioneer spirit. And we don't need men that are just copying the latest version of some uh, hip church. But we need men like this who have their doctrine straight, who have a right relationship with their home pastor, and who are just going out to do something for God. And I want you to really think about that. And I want you to ask the Lord to just help you. Um, I, I have a passion that over these next years as a pastor and as a Bible college president that we can take the vast majority of men from this college and see you do what Mitchell Crittenden is doing and in the way he's doing it. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'd rather have a few hundred men with that heart 
than a few thousand men just taking physical ed and wanting to be a police officer and learn how to teach art. And then a couple, and then a small percentage of those men who want to be preachers. This is a preacher school. This is a place training Christian educators and training people for ministry. And we want to really keep the focus on the local New Testament Baptist church. 